it's really hard to define what culture is, but it's just, it's a few different things. It's, you know, having a really strong set of company values that aren't just on the wall, that are actually lived and breathed. Organisational health is much like physical health, right? If you, if you stop going to the gym, you're going to get fat. I lived in the US for three years, so I understand like how fun it is to walk into a bank and say you want to pay some money in, in anything other than US dollars. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and I've been a tech journalist for many years. And I'm joined this week by Richard Arundel, the co-founder of Currency Cloud. Welcome, Richard. Good afternoon, Jane. Thanks for having me. Now, you founded Currency Cloud, which is a cross-border payment service, And you founded that back in 2012, and it's been on quite a journey since, culminating in an acquisition by Visa at the end of 2021 in a deal worth about $925 million. So, you know, that Richard, that's quite the dream journey for a startup, isn't it? So let's talk about how you've gone from a small rented office in East London to, I'm guessing now, offices around the world. Offices around the world, indeed. I mean, we, we actually started the business under a slightly different name at the end of 2000, early 2009. And we became Currency Cloud when we raised our first uh, Series A in 2012. So the small rented office actually started with kind of a basement office looking over some kind of air conditioning units and our lovely, friendly kind of neighbourhood pigeons. And prior to the acquisition, we had offices around the world anyway. We had one in London, one in Cardiff, one in Amsterdam, thanks to Brexit. Uh, We had New York and I think we had Singapore as well prior to the, um, the acquisition. But obviously being part of Visa, you have many more offices. So before we talk about the acquisition, let's talk about that growth, because I guess for startups, it's one of the first sort of worries they have. You know, you start off, you've got this a small team, you've got a great culture, you've usually got a fairly good idea, or at least you hope so. How do you sort of maintain that company culture as you get bigger and ultimately by being absorbed into a huge corporate like Visa? My favourite topic, I think, culture. Uh, I talk about <laughs> it a lot. But also, when you start, and bearing in mind, when I started, I think I was 26-ish, 27 maybe. So, you know, full of hopes and dreams and, and immense naivety. And I think really the, 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 the secret around kind of growth at that stage is, is surrounding yourself with really good people. And we were lucky. There's uh, one of my kind of fellow co-founders, um, chap was Steve Lemon. We grew up in in FX together. We came from a business, so we kind of understood how each other worked. But then working with kind of a smallish team, six seven of us in the early days, you're right. The culture was really good. But I read something really interesting about culture, and I, I did write this down. I did come prepared. 
And I quite like it because people always ask me about the culture, A, at Currency Cloud through the years and then obviously acquisition. But prior to acquisition, we were 450, 500 people. So it was quite a big company and culture changes, right? And and, and you have to have a, a view on that. And I've spent some time in the US as well and you know, different cultures and different different geographies. But I read that culture is the ecosystem of processes that affect total motivation. And I quite like that. There's that, a book. That's quite a there's, saying. There's a book, yeah, yeah, there's a book called Prime to Perform, which is really, really good. Anybody interested in kind of ways of working and motivation and building a culture should, should go and look at it. But it starts talking about, you know, it's really hard to define what culture is, but it's just, it's a few different things. It's, you know, having a really strong set of company values that aren't just on the wall, that are actually lived and breathed. And I think one of the things we've always tried to do is bring that to life, whether we were a team of six or seven in the early days or 500 people going through an acquisition, or even now as we go into our kind of new home with 28, 29,000 people within kind of Visa and, and you know, the, our peers within Visa that we're dealing with. So it's it's making sure that, as I said, values for me are something that have to be lived, not just dreamed up in a kind of marketing department and slapped on a wall and said, you must adhere to these, otherwise, you know, you're not part of the company culture. And I think also then having a, not just values, but a sense of purpose in your work. So kind of quite a, a, a clear defined purpose for the work that you're doing, because I think everybody, whether you're part of a, you know, in the early days, we were, you know, six people round a table about as big as the, the study I'm sat in now. You want to ha- make sure that the work you're doing, you can see the impact of that work and you can see it's actually making a difference. And I think that for me has been highlighted over the last few years when people have gone from a predominantly office-based environment to a kind of remote-based environment or hybrid environment. I know a lot of people are coming back into the office now, but it's it's hard to, to, to you know, as you grow and and not just the pandemic, but as we've scaled the business, we've, we've got kind of offices all around the world, you've got to work really hard at this. You've got to really work hard at, you know, what that culture is. And, you know, you read a lot of things and certainly within the fintech environment, people kind of wrongly assume that you build a culture by having a table tennis table and having, you know, drinks trolley on a Friday afternoon and it's all kind of fun, but it's much more than that. And I think it can be quite well defined. And we've always we always tried our hardest to make it a company, a business where people just generally enjoy what they do and can really see the impact of what they're doing. I guess the sort of obvious and practical thing that changes is by size, people sort of slip through the gaps a bit more. The smaller a company is, the more you naturally feel that you're a big part of it. Whereas the bigger it gets, you know, you you might not have that sense. Is there a way that you can kind of maintain that sort of initial excitement that you're all part of something that's that you're working towards when you've got 600 people working for you? I think it comes down to just working on it. I mean, so I, I talk about the culture aspect. I also talk about kind of ways of working. And I'm a big proponent of kind of organizational health. And a lot of that covers actually this clarity of your purpose and actually what you're doing. And I think if, if you if you just believe you have a good culture because you're a startup or a, you know, a, a cool hip company and not really work on it, then that's where you fail as you scale and as you broaden your kind of your reach in terms of your offices. So I think having, making sure that suddenly your, your leaders are working on this with their teams as well and, you know, make it part of their, their kind of one-to-ones with their teams to talk about, you know, okay, you've got your tactical work that you're doing but what about the stuff that's really motivating you? Are you in the right place? Are you doing the right thing? And I think it's, you know, organisational health is much like physical health, right? If you if you stop going to the gym, you're going to get fat. So you, you've got to keep working at this. And, and I think we've always had 
a number of people who have really believed that this is not only about you know our, our product and our talent, but it's fundamental to our success is having a culture that is kind of alive. And let's talk a little bit about that product then, because obviously you had something pretty good going for you if, if you attracted the interest of Visa. Speak to me a bit about what you've done to make cross-border payments work better for people. And I'm guessing you've seen that affect real kind of change in people's lives. I don't know if you've got any kind of examples of those. Yeah, so going back to what we do. So think of us as the, the infrastructure behind moving money across borders, whether that's payments or, or receipts. So we are, and my marketing team hate it when I say this, kind of the dumb pipes behind a bunch of really innovative companies. So we don't go direct to market. The products and services that you and I consume, we wouldn't be visible to you. We would be the, the infrastructure behind that. But there's been some really, really interesting applications of our kind of technology and our products a company that a lot of people kind of know about in this space is Revolut. And a lot of people, when they're going abroad, they have a Revolut card. And it's just a really simple and easy way to kind of exchange money. Um, and, you know, we provide some of the services behind that. And I think that's that's transformed how... And by the way, Revolut is one such example. There's there's plenty of these examples, certainly in the UK, where, where we're sitting. But it's it's an example that a lot of people know about because they've seen it have a have a material impact on how they interact with with foreign currency and when you're going abroad a lot of people have a Revolut, a monzo card or whatever it might be that's a really good example i also like and it's not i'm going to choose a couple of the, the people may hear about there's a bank called starling bank in, in the uk a big part of what we provide for them is focused on kind of your uh, your smbs your small small businesses which i think are traditionally underserved from a financial services point of view and what we try and do for them what we have done for them sorry is one of the, the key products that I quite like is our collections product, which means if you if you are a UK manufacturer and you want to be paid by one of your customers in the US, for example, we give you the ability to issue a, um, a virtual US account number. So if you're sat in the US, Jane, I can give you a US dollar invoice. So you don't need to, and if you've ever been to the US or worked with the US bank, if you go in and say, I want a pair of sterling invoice, they kind of look at you a bit funny. So we give the Starlink bank the ability to give their customers the ability to effectively work much easier with their US clients. So I just think that's a really good example of if you go, if you wind the clock back five years, that process would have been painful. You'd have probably had to issue two or three different invoices, sat with them on the phone to read out how they send you a payment overseas. Um, I'm picking the US. I lived in the US for three years, so I understand like how fun it is to walk into a bank and say you want to pay some money in in anything other than US dollars. But now we just make it so easy. You say, here's a dollar, here's a local dollar account that you just need to make a payment to. And then we all do the fun, we do the fun stuff in the background. You mentioned Starling Bank, and actually we've had Anne Bowden on the show. One of the things she said, which uh, I thought was interesting, was that she wanted to set up a challenger bank because she felt that all the existing banks were all just the same. You know, they all had the same, down to the carpet they had in their in their, in their their branches. But do you think we're sort of reaching a point now where challenger banks are sort of almost becoming the status quo? You know, what what's the biggest challenge do you think for the for these kind of banks? So it's it's a good point, and I think the current environment shines a light on that because it's been you know prior to probably the last twelve months or maybe six twelve months, it's been relatively easy for a challenger bank to go out and get funding based on a new kind of crazy idea. You know, very, some of these very niche ideas. I think you've kind of really got to dial it back and understand what problem are they trying to solve? And ultimately, they're all going after the same customer. 
with the same set of problems. And, and you know, Anne's right. And what the, what she's built at Stalingberg is fantastic. But actually, you could you could approach it and say, are all the challenger banks now still looking and smelling kind of like the same thing? What they're doing, which is really interesting, is they're really giving a kick up the backside to some of the more traditional banks to say, we need to act here. Because it's ultimately, it's all about the end customer's um, expectations are changing. And that's what the starlings of the world have done. They've kind of brought this customer experience into the 21st century. And, you know, we've, we've been through a period of where there's been a massive digitalization of the consumer. So you and I and our expectations of how we interact with our financial services has changed massively. But that's now happening in that kind of corporate space in the SMB space. And that's what the challenger banks are kind of doing. So I think what they're, when we talk about the status quo, it's a status quo over, a cust- over an expectation of a customer experience. And not just a pricing play, but it is a how I, you know, if I, if I go back to when we first started the business, to make a payment, you probably had three or four little banking dongles on your desk. You know, where's all my money? I can't remember. Where's my HSBC one? Or where's my NetWest one? And this is what the likes of Starling have done. They've kind of changed the game for just how you interact. Um, and there's lots of different applications, right? It's not just challenger banks. It's when you now this this big kind of advent of uh, embedded payments. You know, you don't necessarily have to log into a banking portal to go and make a payment. I really like the kind of the accounts payable or the accounts receivable space, where thanks to uses of applications, some of which we provide, you can just make a payment like you would do in an Uber or an Airbnb. And I think that's the customer experience that we all expect now. A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk intact. You also mentioned Revolut. That's a firm that's kind of got quite a lot of controversy around it and also an eye-watering valuation that has recently, this spring, been cut. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you've got to be, I've got to be careful because they, they're a customer. What they've done, leave the controversy aside, because I, I, I've known or two of the, the friends, so Nikolai and Vlad, came to one of our first ever customer advisory boards back in 2010 or 11, just when like Revolut was an idea. And I think what they've done, and yeah, they'll probably tell you that they've had to adjust if they're scaled and you know, the controversy, I guess, surrounds, which will always come with, with a success story, right? You're always going to have people who say, oh, actually, I'm just going to look over and see what you're doing. And a lot of it comes from kind of compliance and, and you know, um, were there um, processes as good as they could have been. They've, they've, I know they've done a huge amount of work on that because ultimately they believe not just in, um, yeah, as we do, not just um, about you know, driving costs down and experience up, it's around keeping people's money safe. Uh, there, there are very few, you know, banks, challenger banks that get to a size that don't have that as kind of their one of their core values because it is about moving fast, you know, bringing really good experiences to the customer, but underpinning it all is is we, we people ask what we do in a payment space we're in the compliance space it's about keeping our you and our you know, me and you our money safe so the controversy aside i think they've they've done such a good job of changing the game like starling have done 
So I think they're a fantastic success story. Valuation, you know, I don't, they've done really well. Does it matter if their valuation was overinflated a year ago and compared to whatever, you know, the, the street said it says it's worth now? I think if you ask the the executives at Revolut, are, are they driven by valuation or are they actually driven by disrupting financial services? I think it's the second part and knowing some of that team as they do. You mentioned the phrase there, move fast. And it feels to me like fintech is still quite involved in that sort of Silicon Valley kind of move fast, break things, change up the status quo. You also mentioned kind of offices that startups have with ping pong tables in it, etc. But in some ways, we're kind of moving away from that kind of way of doing things, aren't we? Because we've seen those companies that uh, that, that started in Silicon Valley uh, have their issues, to say the least. So, you know, if you were advising entrepreneurs now about how to start a business, would you say move fast, break things? Or would you say that you have to employ a, a, a different mindset? I said move fast, but keep your seatbelt on. You know, I, I think when, when people look at kind of the analogy of moving fast, you don't have to slow down. You have to do it in the right way. And I think what, what gives, and if you think about the word fintech, it's financial technology. So it's technology, that's, it's finance that's driven by the, 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 the clever use of technology, which some of these legacy providers don't have the luxury of because they're built on such kind of historical kind of code and infrastructure that doesn't allow them to move fast. I don't think, you know, the mindset, and especially, you know, walking into and, being, and after the acquisition from, from Visa, I can tell you very much, you know, Visa is a big company. They have a mindset that we want to move fast. You know, we want to deliver value to our customers as quickly as possible. So no, so I would say absolutely not. You know, keep moving and, and keep being as, as agile as you can can be, but it can't be, especially in financial technology, and especially in, in the world that we're in, in terms of kind of payments and moving people's money. I go back, you know, keep the seatbelt on. And what I mean by that is keep your customers' funds safe. Don't cut corners when it comes to people's money. And don't cut corners when it comes to ultimately what we're here to do, which is to keep the money out of the hands of the bad guys. Right? That's what it's all about. So as long as you can keep moving at pace and, you know, the, the agile methodologies that our technology and product teams use, I would never say don't do that. But I think, you know, we're, we're in the luxury. Fintech has the luxury, as I said, of, of being based on, Agile technology, which allows you to make decisions quickly. And some of this stuff is also, it's not just around building things quickly. It's how you set yourself up to be as close to the customer as possible so you can adapt. And I think when I talked about, this comes back to culture. And I think, you know, the very best businesses can set themselves up to execute on the plan and they have very smart people delivering this plan. But the ones that will really succeed are the ones that can adapt quickly to changes in customers changes you know we've lived through the last few years of a lot of uncertainty right and we're in the middle of a lot of uncertainty and it's how you create a culture that can adapt to some of these challenges quickly let's go back and talk about the acquisition tell me how the process of acquisition was and the lessons that you've learned from it practical advice that you might give to other founders going through that process so let me take the first bit the the, the history i guess of the acquisition we completed it by the end of 2021 but there was a a kind of courting period before that for a couple of years where these are actually invested in our, our series a in 2019 i think it was and prior to that we had a commercial relationship kind of commercial partnership with them as a as a client effectively so that was kind of 2018 so so we knew each other and actually as part of the series e and part of their investment one of their team had joined our board that lady colleen is is, is now our um, kind of running running the show in, in in our division so she got to know us 
not just from a product point of view, but I think importantly from a people point of view, is that are these the right people that we want to kind of be part of a visa? And then the the whole kind of thing went through. We, we were actually, we never put ourselves up for sale. We, we actually were raising more money. We were raising a Series F and we had some term sheets for a Series F. And at that point, I think Visa said, maybe now's the right time. We've, you know, we've, we've worked together for a, for a long time. We don't want anybody else giving their hands on you. Why don't we come to an agreement? My biggest advice, and listen, as a, as a, as a co-founder of the business, I was lucky I was there with an idea and I was kind of always in a sales background. Um, I never profess to be the brains of any of this operation. So my advice, my advice has always been to anybody with ideas is surround yourself with smart people. Um, we had, so I said, we set the business up with an idea in, in 2009. We had some really smart people then. We brought Mike Laban, our CEO, in as part of the Series A in 2012. And he kind of, that's when the grown-ups came in. And then both Mike and then our CFO, Fiona T, is get yourself a good, C, a good CFO you know, going through this acquisition because it's, I couldn't have done this myself. And a lot of people can't, right? And a lot of founders are people with ideas, but they haven't got the practical experience of either taking customers through, an, taking businesses through an acquisition or, or through a kind of an IPO. Some have, some haven't. You know, I, I was, as I said, go back to my point, I was a naive 26-year-old at the beginning. I've learned a lot through the process, but don't let your ego get in the way. Surround yourself with good people. Get the right people in the room. At that stage, that right person wasn't me to be in that room. It was Mike, it was Fiona, it was the other executives who were doing stuff. And then, you know, the other advice, depending on your business, I keep going back to this around we we work in a heavily regulated industry. And that's the bit when they when companies are doing their due diligence, they'll look at your platform and they'll kind of rip that apart and understand how, how good your technology is. But they'll deep dive into you know, your, your regulatory standing, your compliance processes. And luckily, we're majored in building that and building a, a very robust Kind of compliance program with with great people and great processes. So you would say you've got to get all your ducks in a row, and you've got to kind of know ducks um... and people. Yeah, ducks <laughs> and people in a row. So that's as I said, I, I always come back to the people. It's it's get yourself a good team, a good executive team who can lead a business, who can enable, inspire their teams to do great things, and I think you'll end up. You know, listen, I'm. I'm not a serial founder. I've, I've, it's been one one business that's, you know, we've been lucky that it's been a very success, uh, a, a great success story. And it's not lost on me that the timing of the the acquisition was quite good given kind of valuations and in the market. But it's been, it's been thoroughly enjoyable. And what are the plans for Currency Cloud in the rest of this year and beyond? More of the same. So I go back to our purpose and our purpose. And another reason why the acquisition was so good was because our purpose just so happened it aligned very nicely to Visa's purpose. We talked about reimagining the way that money flows to create a better tomorrow for all. And they phrase it as uplifting everybody, everyone everywhere by being the best way to pay and be paid. So they probably had people who they who just phrased it slightly better than we did. It's exactly the same thing. So when people talk about the acquisition and what we're doing and what changes, you know, we're we're just scratching the surface of money movement and how we can improve this for people so it's more of the same you know in a very fortunate situation that we now have the backing of someone like visa and we have you know certainly with some some companies we have kind of that brand equity to play because it's such a a trusted brand but we're not changing who we're really selling to you know we're still servicing we service banks we service fintechs and we service kind of fx companies and remittance companies those are the three i guess 
types of customers that are still delivering value and changing the game for people when it comes to money movement. So it's it's doubling down on that. We, we haven't lost focus on that. You know, despite the fun and games of an acquisition, anybody who's been through an acquisition will know, even down to, you know, I've, I'm, I'm on a new laptop now and my, my tools and things are working. It's those little things that you need to try and just take on the chin. So I think it's, for us, it's it's focus. It's trying to take away the distractions for our people and allow them to focus on, you know, what, what it is that actually they really like to do, which is build products, services that you and I can ultimately benefit from by using the likes of Starling, Revolut, and Monzo, et cetera. So. And it's only May, that, right? So there's, there's still so many years ago. <laughs> uh, and London was seen as the financial capital of the world, and the UK is still Europe's fintech leader. Do you think that's going to remain the case? And how, how, do they, how does the UK maintain that position, do you think? I've been asked this question a few times, and there was a Khalifa report that came out what, a couple of years ago now, I think, around kind of how we keep... And whether it's London, whether it's other cities in the UK, I don't know. And actually, still a lot of fintech is in kind of this hybrid or remote first world. So, you know, London's still at a beating heart. But I think what we've done in, in the UK in general is make it more accessible to the talent that's all over the... Not just the UK, but also all over the world. And there are little things we can do in terms of, like, making sure that the UK itself is attractive for overseas talent like visa programs, et cetera, how we sponsor people to get people into this um, in, into this wonderful country. I think the remote first angle of some companies really, really works because it means that people coming in or you know, they don't have to move to, to London, which is quite an expensive place to, to live, right? They don't necessarily have to come and live there you know, 24-7 and, and, and they can kind of travel in. All those little things I think will help. But whilst I think it's great and I'm, I'm a proud Englishman, I think also we need a bit of competition from other areas right to keep us on our toes so that you know obviously the us is a is a big hub of innovation but also why we're so excited about our asia pacific business and our singapore office is because that is a hub for a huge amount of innovation going on which is great for us as a global business it's great to see these kind of pockets of stuff that are opening up but now i think for me a lot of it comes down to there's, there's regulatory stuff that we need to go through and we probably don't have enough time on this podcast to go through all the regulatory stuff that we can be doing in the uk to make sure that you can go fast, but wearing a seatbelt from a compliance point of view. But I think if we continue to have access to the very best talent and to make that our kind of modus operandi, then I think we're going to be okay. Now, fintech for some means crypto or even NFTs. How do you feel about that being seen by some as what fintech is all about? I think if you work in fintech, then you obviously know that that's, you know, that's, that is part of it. And, and rather than rather than cryptos or NFT, I think if you understand kind of financial technology, you kind of relate it back to actually blockchain technology and the technology that underpins some of those things. So, yeah, listen, we, again, from our point of view, going back to the, the, the how heavily regulated we are, we we kind of dabble with certain things where we can, but crypto is, is not a big part of our kind of portfolio. And I don't know, is it, is it still a hot topic, do you think? I know, like, kind of, I remember going to Money 2020 a couple of years ago, and it was all about crypto. And then mm. that was probably actually 2018, 2019, all about crypto. But actually, maybe it's because, you know, when people check their, you know, their crypto wallet now, it wasn't quite as high as it used to be with, you know, the the, the crash that we saw last year. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the underlying technology, if it means that we can move money from A to B quicker and more securely. If it doesn't solve a problem... I think, and I think you need to look at fintech as solving a problem through the use of technology. 
if it's just a nice to have and it doesn't really solve a problem for you and if i want to send you money quickly and i can do that just through the traditional rails which i can do i can send you five pounds instantly now probably and if we were a you know with the same challenger bank it would be where there before i finish the sentence so I, i'm yet to see a really compelling kind of use i mean especially of nfts i don't quite understand them my brother knows i mean he talks to me about some monkeys drawing that he has and like and I'm like, i don't know what you're talking about mate so i haven't gone down that rabbit hole but the crypto stuff the underlying blockchain technology if it as i said if it solves a problem for moving money from a to b cross borders in a secure way that solves a real problem for the end user then i'm all for it fantastic and i'm afraid that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the uk tn podcast thank you richard for a fascinating discussion to keep up to date with all the latest uk tech developments head over to www.uktech.news don't forget to follow UKTN on linkedin and twitter and you can also get in touch with me via linkedin or twitter at jane wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show until next time goodbye from me Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. <laughs>